0: it is always an honor to get to be here i'm i'm my name's buster holzer i'm the board chaplain for uh peter's ministries i get to travel and speak at a lot of events and i've always got something crazy it's on yeah no I, it's all the buttons are on how's that still nothing I don't really need it, probably. But I don't know, they said we had some troubles with this thing earlier. He's got it. Technical difficulties. Hey, now we got power. All right. So I usually when I when I get to travel and speak, I've I've done all kinds of stuff. I've got crazy messages, I've I've uh I have a, a a duck call sermon where I use a duck call and preach a message and I talk about deer and I talk about turkeys and I've even talked about a bullet. Remember that one? <laughs> that was a good one actually. Well today I man, I was working over my notes this morning. I was there at, at uh staying with, with the Dockery's down the down the road and I get to come up and work uh at Dockery's Shop quite a bit. I, I fix hell damaged cars, so if you got hell damage I'm your guy. So on your car. I don't really fix hell damage on anything else, but um, some lady told me the other day she had hell damage. I'm like, "Mm, not sure I can fix that, but uh, anyway, so I, but I I get to spend a lot of time up here, and I was going over notes this morning, and I I told, uh, I told Alice, like, my gosh, I've got a lot of notes today. I I usually don't have many notes. My sermons are usually pretty short, but I don't know where this is going to go today, so but in one of our conversations of recent days, we got to chiming around about automotive repair, and he, uh, he came up with a phrase that I often will say, ooh, that'll preach. But his phrase was kind of funny, got us laughing about stuff, and he said, chrome won't get you home. Now, how many of y'all in here ever rebuild a car? You into cars? Anybody in here into cars? Okay, good. That's good. My son did a sermon, when he wrote that sermon, the duck call sermon, he asked a group of guys kind of like this, how many of y'all duck hunt? And not a single person raised their hand. He had an entire 27 pages of notes on duck calls and duck hunting and nobody duck hunted, but at least some of you are into cars, because we're going to talk about that today. But he makes this comment, Chrome won't get you home. Well, it got me going, so I talked about some junk in the trunk. You know, right? I mean... Or, or, or maybe putting bank in the tank. If you're filling gas in your car, you understand what that means. All the bling won't change a thing. Right? I mean, we, we get that. I like this one. All those cool accessories won't cover the necessaries. Or winning the local car show won't get you into the main show. Now, see, you can get a spiritual thing going on all this stuff. But my favorite one was just buffing out the scuff Won't be enough. (laughs) What I want to talk to you today is about restoration. If you're into cars, you understand what it takes to restore a car. I've been in the car business now since high school, which was a long time ago. Yes, we had cars when I was in high school. Um, But (laughs) I I got into the auto body field. Now, I got into that auto body field so I could get away from high school because I was done with high school my junior year. I didn't want any more. But when you talk about restoration, restoration becomes a process. It's not something that just happens. So I want to talk to you today about not only is restoration a process, but restoration's messy. In this field of expertise I have, this crazy world started with an escape from high school into the auto body program. And I learned to work on damaged cars. Now the one thing I learned really quickly, I did not like lining up parts. I I didn't want to do that. Give me some Bondo, a grinder, a sander, I was happy. Hand me a paint gun, I was happy. I didn't like this collision repair stuff like my buddy Al does at his body shop. Lining hoods back up, and that just frustrates me to no end. So I took off on this amazing trail of restoring cars. Now, if you're into cars and you see things, I mean, obviously, this time of year, we're looking for deer, when we're weaving all over the road, but some of us will see an old car, or we'll see maybe an old tractor, or something sitting in a field. Now, you know as well as I do that that thing can have a tree growing through the hood, but that guy's going to fix that up one day, right? It ain't for sale. You know, we know those, right? I mean, y'all probably got one sitting in your yard somewhere that's, well will fix it up one day, right, Al? Yeah, I know he does. <laughs> But in the process of this, when I look at an old car, I I don't just see the faded paint. I I don't just see the dented panels or the rust bubbling out. Most of us will turn away from that thinking, well, it's just a wore out, lost cause. um, And we'll go looking for something better. But when I see that, I see what it could be. I see what it could be after all the work, after sanding it down, after... The, the the sanding off the faded paint and hammering out the dents and smoothing them up, and maybe even cutting and grinding out that old rusty metal and measuring and cutting in and patching in a, a welding a new piece into place to where it looks fresh and new. Each phase bringing a sense of accomplishment as we see progress in the midst of our mess. It could even be if you restore an old piece of furniture. Anybody ever done that? Where you've sanded it down and got yeah, all the husbands going, yeah, I had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but after all of this stuff, a- after you go through all the phases, all this, this accomplishment in the dust and the dirt and the parts and the tools strung around and the sweat and maybe even some blood and maybe some tears in the process, after all of this intensive labor, we find ourselves at a place where now we can put the finishing touches back on. You know, the work's done, now the fun part starts. Now we can start putting on some primer and start blocking it out nice and smooth. And then we can lay on that shiny new coat of paint. I don't know if any of you have ever painted a car. It's not nearly as easy as they say it is. <laughs> but it, it, it's, you know, after a while, you, you get this finish and you know what you have in the end. And and what you started out, as some would call a lost cause, now you have something that looks cool, that's restored. And you've put a lot of effort into that. I often reflect on this as that's kind of how people look at us at various stages of our lives. We're broken. We're dented. Some of us are rusted out, faded. Maybe maybe we're, to some people, appear to be a lost cause. You ever find yourself in that place where maybe you felt like people looked at you like a lost cause? But God never sees us that way. God looks at us just like I look at that old Carson in the field. He sees our potential. He he looks past our brokenness, and he sees an end result that's restored and useful. Yes, the process of restoration is messy. It might even hurt, but the master craftsman, the creator of all things himself, can take our mess. He can work us over, restoring not only our outward appearance, but he can even overhaul what's under the hood. You know, oftentimes we find ourselves doing a little patchwork, you know we, we skim over something, but we haven't fixed what's wrong on the inside, and we're going to wind up back in the same place we started. God's a God of restoration. He, he restores our minds, He restores our emotions. He can even restore our health and our soul. When we allow God to start this process of restoration. We've got to give him full access and authority to do all that's necessary. One of the things we find when we're working on cars is I need your whole access. I need you to allow me to do what's necessary, or you're not going to get the end result you're looking for. It may be expensive, but you're going to have to give me the opportunity to go as deep as need be. That's what we have to do with God as well. We can't hold back anything. We've got to give him full access to our heart. Just putting on a fresh coat of paint won't resolve any structural issue. We've got to allow him to do the hard work of cutting and grinding and sanding so that when he begins to apply that final touch, we'll be the masterpiece that's worthy of all that he's created us to be. Maybe some of you are going through this sanding process right now. Maybe you're considering allowing God access to you today. Maybe after this weekend, spending the time here in God's presence with God's people, you're finding yourself in a place where maybe you realize you're lacking some things in your life, maybe some things that need to change. When we allow God to have access to us, we, we move us from that old field with the tree growing through the hood into a place where God can start a process on us. Now, oftentimes in the midst of this process, when things have just begun, we might not really see What's ahead of us? It's too slow. The process is going too slow. It's not happening fast enough. God's not moving in my life quick enough. I've still got problems. I'm still struggling with something. Don't, don't give up yet. Because again, restoration is a process and sometimes it's messy. We've got to trust God in his process of restoration that one day will be complete. That we'll be restored and that others will know that we've been in the presence of the master craftsman. Jensen Franklin wrote some things that I found very interesting. He starts out with Joel chapter 2, verse 25, He says, where, where the Word says, I will restore you. God gives us a promise that He will restore us. Whatever life is taken from you, God can restore. He, he may not give you exactly what you want, but He will give you what's best. And even when you fall under His corrective hand through maybe disobedience or if you repent... He'll reinstate you to that place of blessing. You might say, but what about that time that I've wasted? What about all the opportunities that I've squandered? I've made a mess of my life. Anybody been in a place where you've really felt like you've made a mess of your life? I have. I wasted most of my life. I I grew up, a lot of you have heard my story before. I grew up in church. My, My dad was a deacon, my mom was a church secretary. I tell people all the time I had a drug problem growing up. I got drugged to church every time the doors was open. I never had an option. But yet, even in the process, I never surrendered. So I go well into adulthood with children, with a family, and I'm not serving the Lord. And I found myself in a very dark place. And I, and I had to surrender completely to the Lord for him to do what it was necessary inside of me. It wasn't easy, it wasn't a quick process, and it's still ongoing today. God's still changing me, still moving me forward to where he wants me to be. Sometimes I wonder if I've fallen so low that maybe God can't reach me. Ever been there? Maybe I've done things that God just simply can't forgive me for. I'll tell you today, that's a lie. I've heard it spoken to me. I've, I've, I've done dumb things, I've been stupid in my life, but somewhere in the process, God still has restored me to a place where he allows me to do things like I'm doing today. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. It's Isaiah chapter 59. After wasting all that he had inherited from his father, the prodigal son returned home. He came home broken and embarrassed, if you know the story. It's one of my favorites. All he wanted was just a place to rest his head, maybe to get a meal, just serve as one of his father's servants. But the moment he said some some unique words, forgive me, his father called for the best robe, the fattest calf, the newest shoes, and a ring, and he restored him to his rightful place as a family member, all through the words of just forgive me. Even under the crushing weight of the Old Testament law with demands that no one could get or could live up to, God said, "If a man steals an ox or a sheep, he'll, he shall just restore five oxen for, for an ox or four sheep for a sheep." There was always a way out. Now if God could do that in those days who, and for those who lived under the law and on the wrong side of the cross, how much more will he do for those whom He's redeemed? Us. So you can go to him today with confidence knowing that he's a God of restoration. In another story of life and struggle, I found this little nugget of treasure. In a short period of time, due to circumstances beyond my control, life changed dramatically. As a result, the financial situation for my three children and myself went from secure and life-giving to unsecure, unpredictable, insufficient to sustain even our basic needs desperate fears of how to provide for my family pulled me into a pit of fear and despair but one night i had a dream and all that changed in this dream i was slumped over tears pouring down my face sobbing out loud rubbing my eyes completely broken and spent my waking emotions playing out in my sleeping subconscious and then i noticed a figure slowly enter the room yet i wasn't afraid in fact i felt totally at peace rather than fear a strange sense of calm and safety washed over me I immediately knew in my spirit that it was Jesus. He spoke softly and gently with a deep yet tender and loving voice. Why didn't you come to me earlier? I will restore all that has been lost and broken. Hearing his voice startled me into the consciousness, and I abruptly awoke, fully believing I'd experienced a divine encounter with my Heavenly Father. His words kept echoing over and over in my mind. I will restore you. I'll restore all that has been lost and broken. These are words that I've longed to hear, words that reaffirmed that he saw me and was watching over me. Words that gave me great hope and reassured me that not only had the power to restore all that had been taken from me, but indeed he had plans to do so. But what about hearing Jesus whisper, "Why didn't you come to me sooner?" This was perplexing because I honestly believe I had come to him a million gazillion times, in fact. However, what I had not brought to him was my total surrender and my total trust. Instead of surrendering my problems to him, I just told him about them constantly and then continued to try to solve them on my own. Sound familiar for anybody? Rather than trusting for miraculous provision, I fretted and worried whether he would come through or not. I continually felt crushed and hopeless under countless adversaries, much like Job in the Bible when he faced great loss and calamity. I don't know if any of you have ever took the time to go through the book of Job. We won't do that today. (laughs) It's a long one. But have you ever really studied out what Job went through? I mean, in one day... Job lost 10 children, along with all his possessions and his wealth. And then shortly after, he was afflicted with a horrible skin disease. He lost all his friends. Everyone was accusing him of, of being something that he wasn't. If you, if you get into the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2, we'll kind of express all that. Job didn't understand why he had to suffer so much. So throughout the book of Job, we see him expressing heartache and anger at all the pain and the suffering That God was allowing him to go through. We also see evidence that he was impatient. Regarding how long it was taking God to bring about restoration. He cries out constantly. Of course he's got those friends going dude. What have you done? Even his wife. Just curse God and die. I mean the the whole story of Job is is quite perplexing. It's, it's, It's amazing to see what he endured. And never lost his faith or trust in the Lord. Through it all, and despite his human emotions, Job never doubted that full surrender and trust was necessary. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, it says that the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Can you, can you do that? I mean, can you say, God, thank you for all you've given me, and Lord, thank you for all you've taken away from me. I'm still going to praise you. I mean, some of you who have been here have lost much. Maybe you've gained much, but in the process of life, you've lost much. I, I could, and I'm, and I'm not a veteran, I haven't been where you veterans have been, but I think, how much have you lost that most of us will never understand? Because we don't understand what you've lost. But, but you say, well, yeah, but you know, God's given you much. Look around you, I've, I've got everything I need, but you've lost much. And in the process, Job said, praise the name of the Lord. Despite his suffering, he trusted God's will for his life. And he continued to praise him. As a result, not only did Job's faith soar, but his life did as well. In the process of his faith, in the process of his continued understanding that no matter what you're putting me or allowing me to go through, God, I'm going to trust you. Look at what happened to him. Eventually, Job 42, we read how God blessed Job and his faithfulness in every way. Job 42.10 says the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave me twice as much as before. It doesn't negate the loss. He still had to endure the process. Restoration's messy. God gave Job a double portion of all he'd lost, restored his marriage and, and many relationships, gave him a new household of children, and allowed him to have and live happily ever after to a ripe old age. So whether it's our hearts... Finances, relationships, or lives that need mending, God's always got a plan to heal and restore. Although I don't know God's exact plans for my future, I do know he's good, and I have seen him fully restoring my heart and my life in ways that I thought were impossible. Total surrender and faithfulness will always open the door for God's restoration to begin. I know the word surrender is is not a word... Used in our military, surrender is not an option. But yet, when it comes to our soul, it's a necessity. Without surrender, we we don't allow God access to our life. Jeremiah chapter twenty nine eleven says, "I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord. "They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope." Unfortunately, a lot of the brokenness, the pain, the heartache, and the need for restoration comes because of sin. Ours and others. It can also come through carelessness, accidents, forces of nature. Our physical world is under the curse of sin too. It will forever be a struggle against the elements in the environment. There were no earthquakes, hurricanes, or polluted rivers in Eden. Physical death did not exist there either. Because of sin, we now live in a fallen world. But no matter the cause... It is always in God's loving nature to restore. The pinnacle of all restoration comes through God's plan of salvation through Jesus. His sacrifice made a way for us to be restored into a right relationship with God. Jesus explained it to his disciples in one of his last teachings before his betrayal and his arrest. In John chapter sixteen thirty three, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We are to expect trouble. We can expect loss. We can expect pain in this world. No one will be immune from this. But he also gives us the encouragement to live in peace through it. First, through his atoning sacrifice on our behalf. Romans chapter 5, 1 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By leaning on him for our peace, we don't have to try harder or paste a smile on our face to get through life's trials. We can find peace in the storm and live daily within his love and comfort, no matter what circumstances are swirling around us. He also reminds us of the abundant nature of his restoration. In John 10:10, 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that we may have life and have it abundantly. The word abundantly that Jesus uses here actually translates to over and above, or more than is necessary. So when he says the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it over and above. More than is necessary is what's being spoken there. Isaiah chapter 58 says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. We'll ask you this question today. Are you needing restoration in your scorched places? Are you feeling a little dried out? When we understand we've been in the midst of drought, I'm from central Oklahoma. We're, We're dry as can be over there. We understand what it means to be in dry places. But are you finding yourself in a dry place spiritually? Maybe someone in here today has not ever really considered the fact that they need the the water for a spiritual garden to grow. Maybe you've never really considered a spiritual life. He promises to guide us, to satisfy our desires, and to give us strength. God can bring restoration and refreshment when you can come to Him with a sincere heart. It, it's, it's in our heart that he desires most of all. It's our surrender. Just our calling out to him. Just as Job said in the midst of all of his struggles, yeah, but I know he's faithful to me. I know God's always going to have peace in his heart for me. Notice what he didn't say, that this life would be abundant in years, health, or wealth. Throughout the entire word, we see where we're going to have trouble, where we're going to have struggles in life challenges that we face but he promises that the life we have can be abundant in satisfaction and contentment if we live in him i I say this frequently i do a daily podcast and 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 i say this often where the whole bible is an if we will i will god says if you'll do these things that i've given you to do i will provide all the promises that are listed in the word it's always our choice Today you have a choice. Today you can take this message, this rambling of 17 pages of notes, and you can decide what to do with the words that you've heard today. Are you in a place where you want restoration for your life? Or are you content to, to carry on rusting away till eventually you won't have anything left? Psalms chapter 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. Most of of us that have lived this life of any length of time have dealt with some form of trauma. Traumatic events happen around us constantly. Obviously, if you're a veteran in here today, you understand trauma. Probably in a realm that most of us never will. But all of us experience trauma. A traumatic event can happen at any given moment. I was 13 years old. I watched my father die of a heart attack in front of me on a basketball court. That's traumatic. You know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm again, my dad was a deacon. I was a church kid. How can this be? How can God allow this to happen in my life? Of course, at that time I was asking him, how could he cause that to happen? God doesn't cause the calamity in our life. He does allow things to happen. But it's to build our character it's for us to to learn that we can endure all things if we choose to follow him through them life's not ever going to be easy i don't know of anybody i've ever met who's had an easy life unless there may be six (laughs) we can't restore our own soul only god can i actually find this comforting I don't have to chase after worldly things to find restoration. It's nothing I can do on my own. God knows what we need and the perfect place to experience it. And for you today, that's right here. You can go ahead and come up and play a little bit. When we put our lives in the care of the good shepherd, he restores our soul by leading us to abide in the goodness the mercy and the love of his green pastures and his quiet waters. God wants to restore us with an abundance of joy and hope even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear and despair have no place in our lives because he's always with us. If you would today as we, as we close, I'd like if you would just to close your eyes with me. I want you to get a picture of where your life is today. Maybe compare it to that car sitting in the pasture with the hood going through the hood, the tree going through the hood. Maybe consider yourself dented up, beat up. You've been down life's paths and they haven't been good to you. You're at a place in your life where you need restoration. What will you do with that? What will you do with that moment today? You have an opportunity before you. God says to all of us, Come unto me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. You're weary. You're tired. We we can't keep trying to do this on our own. It will not work out well. He's calling us today to surrender to him. I'm going to just share a little prayer with you as we close today. And I I, I encourage you, I challenge you. If this is where you are in your life today, I want you to just follow me along with this prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I want you, because nothing matters between you and I. What matters is between you and him. I, I don't put notches in my Bible. I don't take head counts of who gave their life to the Lord when I preached. But what I am concerned with is how you leave this place this weekend. There's been all kinds of messages given to you. I've heard good things all weekend long. You now leave here with family you didn't know you even had. Doesn't matter whether you want us or not, you got us. Now you're part of this family. And we're going to be praying over you. And we're going to pray that God makes you miserable until you surrender to him completely. I pray it all the time. The message that you've heard this weekend, this one that you've heard today, is all in alignment of God's plan for your life. What are you going to do with it? Because now it's, it's on you. I've done my job. The other ministers have done their job this weekend. This ministry as a whole has done its job. We, we've put you in a position to be presented with the gospel. Now it's up to you. Now it's your choice. If you would just pray with me. Father, I know the deepest worries and hurts that we have Are areas of our life that we desperately need healing and restoration. Today, I fully surrender those areas of my life to you. And I ask you to help me to have a joyous, expectant faith as I wait for you to move in my life. I commit to trust you, your ways, your plans, your timing from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we finish here today, I'm going to ask Brother Scott. He's going to come and we're going to take communion. If you were honest with yourself today and you prayed this prayer and you truly do want to leave this place different than you came, don't walk out those doors until you surrender completely. I'll be here for a while. There's others. Chapter Jeremiah is back there. I know there's other ministers in this house today. Find someone to visit with. More than anything, spend some time with the Lord and surrender your life to Him today. Communion is a very marked event. It it, it represents our surrender to what Jesus did for us on the cross. As you take communion today, let it be the beginnings of restoration in your soul. Restoration can be messy. But man, the outcome, there's nothing that can beat it. Nothing can compare to it. Amen. Brother Scott.